I got my first computer in fifth grade, and I basically was one of those people who just was always on the computer. That's Somit Chindala in New York City by way of Hyderabad, India. There's no need to bury the lead here. Somit is the central figure in a major transition in the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning. He works at Meta, where he's the manager of PyTorch, an open-source machine learning framework that was recently transferred to the Linux Foundation. PyTorch enables ML engineers to deploy new AI models in minutes rather than weeks. Somit has been a community leader for the past decade, but he was a self-described introvert when he was growing up in Hyderabad. Started with gaming and then started with trying to hack around copyright protection around games mm -hmm. and then eventually got the smell of the internet and IRC and online, hanging out with people online and finding it more comforting to do that than to meet people in real life. I was a classic geek. Somit is a researcher with over 52,000 citations and an H-index of 29 in machine learning, computer vision, and robotics while focusing on high-risk research. From Marvel movies to memes, people such as Somit are admired in modern culture. But this wasn't the case in the 1990s when being a geek was still outside the norm. Listening to the untold stories of open source this week coming to you from the Linux Foundation office in New York City. Each week we choose an open source project or a person behind a popular open source project to uncover its untold stories. Since you work with open source, and you do whether you know it or not, you're in the right place. Hyderabad is the capital of Telangana in southern India. Today, it's a major center for the technology industry and is home to many upscale restaurants and shops. A lot has changed back home. A lot. Like, it's, I cannot even recognize when I left Hyderabad and Hyderabad of now. It has changed so dramatically, I think it's actually a different country, a different city. Somit credits the adoption of technology for the drastic change, but his own embrace of technology was a time before Hyderabad's transformation when straying from the well-defined path hurt your chances of academic and social success. In Hyderabad, there's an economic class system. If you're one of the top 2.5% of students, which is just a few thousand, you get a free ride to most universities. Outside of that bracket, the cost skyrockets, pretty much putting it out of reach for most. So, that's a lot of pressure to do well on the standardized exam. What if you're not one of the few who make it? I actually didn't make it. So the person at the helm of PyTorch didn't ace the exam. The test demanded general knowledge that was of no interest to him. I was this kid where I was really good at computers and computer science, but... Not really 
interested in what the exam needed, which is maths, physics, chemistry. But the financial impact would be significant. Salmet wouldn't get the free ride to university, and he considered preparing for a second attempt at the test. Luckily, he had supportive parents who could see his potential despite the results. They encouraged him to forget about the test and focus on his passion. My parents kind of had a better understanding of what was happening, and so they were like, you know what, don't worry about it. Time is more important than anything else. Go kick off your program at the university, and let's just like move on from this phase. And that actually did work, because in university, I didn't really have to study very much for all of my computer science courses, because I knew most of what was going on. This would have been a roadblock for most of us. Instead, Summit looked to keep his momentum going. He had limited social interaction prior to high school. He preferred to be shut in his room and on his computer with his chat rooms and his video games. I was one of those people who really didn't like hanging out with other people. My mom would actually, I remember, force me and my sister downstairs to go play with other kids. We lived in an apartment building for a little bit. And she would be like, do not come back up for an hour, at least. And then we would basically look at our mom every 15 minutes where she was standing in the balcony and be like, has an hour been up yet? This changed when Salmet entered the Indian Institutes of Information Technology, or IIIT, in 2005. His new environment forced him to evolve. He lived in a tiny room with three other people who didn't even speak the same language as him. The culture shock forced him to grow. That was my first year, and that actually really changed my personality completely. But make no mistake, Salmet still enjoyed his time at his computer. In 2007, he stumbled on a TED Talk that would change the direction of his life. Blaise Aguera Iarcas led a demo of Photosynth, a software that used still photos culled from the web to build massive 3D dreamscapes. I saw that and it amazed me that you could match parts of a photograph with another part of a photograph accurately. I try to think of algorithms on how to do it, like just on pen and paper, like, oh, do you take a pixel value and then you like compare it to this other pixel value in a range? And I was like, this is so complex and hard. I wonder how they solved it. And that's when I started getting into computer vision. This new motivation came with realization that Soma would need to relocate. Triple IT was an important first step, but Soma had outgrown what the school had to offer. I wasn't really vibing with VIT because they didn't have a good research program, and I wanted to go explore things, do some research. So just like he did with the standardized exam, Soma left Triple IT behind him, it was time to move on. Somit had a mentor, a close family friend, Praveen Garimala, who guided him during this transition. Praveen helped pioneer a new approach to university learning in India by accelerating the adoption of technology. He was actually building out a revolutionary new university program 
that they had their offices out of IIIT, but they, they're called RGUKT, Rajiv Gandhi University of Knowledge Technologies, I think, where they were providing free university-level education to kids in my state at that time, Andhra Pradesh. Um, and they were doing it with completely different new ways of thinking about universities for India at that time. They'd actually get kids directly after 10th grade and do like a six-year program. They would just give them laptops from the get-go and let them go figure things out to a large extent, which was not the norm at that time. And he guided me through the next three years of my life in exactly how to find a job. This guidance brought Somit to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh for a six-month visit of self-learning. There, he paid out of pocket and self-selected courses to enrich his knowledge base. In 2010, after his time at CMU, Somit moved to New York City. I, I had to ask, how difficult was it to leave the comforts of home for America and he had a simple answer. It wasn't. I also did not miss back home or anything like that. He didn't want comfort. He was excited to explore new avenues. He was seeking discomfort and new forms of knowledge. He found plenty of both. New York City presented plenty of challenges despite the excitement. New York is one of those cities where it's so filled up with people and yet when you arrive you likely will feel very lonely because everyone already has their circle and life. Soma didn't have any friends and didn't have an immediate entry to any social circles. As a natural introvert in a strange land the first year was rough but he accepted the challenge and transitioned into his new life. Somit was no longer the classic geek whose mom had to force him to socialize. He was now a geek who embraced life in New York. It was pretty awesome. I love the New York vibe. I really like the diversity in culture and professions. I had roommates who were from all kinds of professions. In place. I had like a Michelin star chef, a fashion model, a finance person, like pretty much like a variety of roommates. That really helped get me to appreciate New York a lot more because you don't get this level of diversity and experiences at many places in the world. Somit had his sights on machine learning and computer vision before he ever enrolled at NYU. When I was applying to universities for my master's, I was looking up colleges that had this focus. I came to NYU knowing that I wanted to do machine learning because I explored that stuff at CMU. Plans often manifest in unpredictable ways. A scan of his LinkedIn profile reveals an inclination towards robotics. So which is it? Machine learning or robotics? I went to NYU. I continu continued on my computer vision stuff, but then for a class project, um, and a little bit of research, I ended up building a robot where I took a Roomba. Actually, iRobot sold a kit for people who didn't want the vacuum cleaner parts, but they just wanted to program on it. And it was called the iRobot Create. I bought one of those 
stuck a Microsoft Connect on top of it, built a small PCB to Roomba's battery be hooked up to the Connect. And once I built that platform, I just stuck a laptop on top of the, the Roomba, connected these things. And the robot would just run around the house, find people. It had like basic human recognition. It was a small platform as well. So you could just put something on it and then you could type in, like, go give it to like Karthik or something, another person. So you were passing beers around on top of the room? Kind of. I mean, <laughs> it worked, I think, only one tenth of the time, but it was good. So that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, teaching a vacuum to serve humans is, at a minimum, pretty cool. Summit's early education is rooted firmly in open source, largely consumed as a user. When I was in India, the only knowledge that was shared was the free and open source knowledge that was there. So my roots, almost like a big part of my learning, was from great people who decided to open source their knowledge at a time where that was not the norm and they had incentives not to do that. After his experiment with robot butlers, Sumit found himself working alongside Jan LeCun, who would go on to win the Turing Award in 2018. Jan's PhD student, Pierre Sumanet, was Somit's mentor at the time, and together they gave Somit a project to work on that involved pedestrian detection. The task was part of the EB Learn open source library. EB Learn, if you haven't heard of it, is an object-oriented C++ library that implements various machine learning models, including energy-based learning and gradient-based learning for machines composed of multiple heterogeneous modules. Now he had the opportunity to give back. He took that initial step into open source contribution. The computer and bio lab would soon have another visitor with an enticing project. Clement Farabet is now the VP of AI infrastructure at NVIDIA, but at the time he was one of the co-authors of this new thing called Torch 7. It was written in a language called Lua, and he wanted Sumit to try it out. I tried it, and it was so much more productive than using eblearn, for, especially for certain kinds of things, that when I had a class project I needed to do in NLP, I just used Torch because it was infinitely more productive. Here's a strange coincidence to bring things back to that young gamer in Hyderabad. Torch 7 was the 7th platoon of the 4th Marine Division of the Dominion Marine Corps in the video game StarCraft. They were wiped out in an ill-fated mission. Coincidence? Hmm. I'll let you decide. Solmet was answering all the questions on the Torch forums, and he would send the original developers issues and requested features. He was trying to build a community, but Clement's co-authors, Koray Kovacorlu of DeepMind and Ronan Colabert, who was with Facebook at the time, were busy with their research companies and lives. They had built the project, but they didn't have the time to foster the community. 
Concerned about the mounting problems, Somit reached out. I wrote an email to them. I was like, you guys are taking so long to review PRs and you never respond to issues and I'm really trying to help out. I answer all the questions on the forums. Like, can you guys spend some more time on the project? And they actually replied back. This was at least 11 years ago or 10 years ago, but they replied back saying, hey, do you want to be a maintainer? Do you want to take over? And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'm practically doing a lot of this work anyways. Before I took over, there was no one else. I was literally like the person with the highest amount of, like highest volume of work right there. There's no one else doing any of it. So they passed the torch, as it were, and Somit was the project's official maintainer from 2013 to 2020. When Summit graduated from NYU in 2012, the AI market wasn't as hot as it is today. He couldn't find jobs to apply to. Summit needed some final guidance to help him connect the dots. I think that was the last stage of me having mentors. That was it. No more mentors. Just Summit, his new degree, and a growing community for Torch. Somit took a job at Musume in July of 2012. There, he built machine learning and vision systems for mobile devices and music. But he kept an eye out for something more interesting. It was his open source contributions and connections that drew the attention of the tech giants. I started being an official maintainer of Torch in 2013. I thought of switching jobs in 2014. And when I started looking around... All three job offers I had on my table were because I was a maintainer of Torch. It was between Twitter and Facebook. And I ended up picking the Facebook job. So I joined Facebook in August 2014 and helped build and maintain PyTorch. But how did Torch become PyTorch? Was it as simple as porting it over? It's pretty dramatic, actually. So we were building Torch. I got a couple more people to work with me full time. There were three of us or so who were like basically powering through all the feature requests, fixing all the issues. As you had new software stacks and layers, upgrades and all of that, we were, we were building all that new functionality. And I had a deep sense of the entire Torch community and what they needed, what they wanted, because I was responding to all of their issues. It was three major research companies in AI, Mm -hmm. and I would say it was in the order of about a thousand users or so. It's still a small community, but it was bigger than when I started using Torch, where it was like 20 people using it. At that time, this was from 2014 through mid-2016, we went from 2014, we were like, oh, great, everything is great. And then late 2015, TensorFlow came out. TensorFlow changed that game. It's a framework for production-grade machine learning models developed by the Google Brain team. 
Torch and its competitors Cafe and Theano were projects built by grad students with ad hoc resources and no real product story. This wasn't the case with TensorFlow. You had TensorFlow, which had an actual marketing department, had a branding department, had good engineers, like solid world-class engineers. It had packaging. It had like a very sophisticated documentation structure and all of that, right? It was like a professional product. Somit tried out the new product like he had with Torch years before to see if this model was the right direction that Torch should head in. It was clear that TensorFlow was mirroring the Theanos model where you write a symbolic meta program in Python and then each piece is compiled in a separate virtual machine. The hope is that the compiler is so powerful that it will allow for more efficient innovation, but if you try to do a stack trace, you'll have no idea what's going on in the report because it's not in a pure programming language. It made another layer of communication that was difficult to retrace. For Somit, this was a deal breaker. Our philosophy of putting a scripting language as a first-class thing around powerful building blocks wasn't really true. We were like, this is not it. It was clear to the Torch community that the framework needed an update to compete with TensorFlow. We would chat a lot. Our universal opinion there, except for not universal, like there was a couple of exceptions, was I think we need to rebuild Torch, but it's not TensorFlow. Like we actually need a different product that is more modern, that is more well-built, that is more high quality, but we're going to build towards a different trade-off on the productivity spectrum that we think we can tell a better product story for. But what was the product story? What would make PyTorch different? It's a very simplistic model. There is no metaprogramming. I'll give you an example. So let's say you're writing on the sheet of paper in front of you. You're writing on the sheet of paper in front of you, and that just means you're writing on the sheet of paper in front of you. But what if I said, I'll give you an iPad, I'll give you a pencil-looking thing, you're writing on the iPad on some blank screen, but what you write gets translated to a different program or system that interprets what you're writing in a very different way. So you have to think through not just what you're writing on on the iPad as you're writing it physically, but how it will be interpreted on this other system that will actually consume what you're writing. There's like this big abstraction disconnect. Our theory was if we built the right building blocks that were powerful and fundamental, and we optimized them properly, you actually didn't need a separate sophisticated engine. You can just, people can write code as they write it, and it'll be fast. To Summit and most of the Torch community, it was clear that the integrity of the developer's intention had to remain intact and uncompromised by the framework. This meant giving more power to those writing the code and less influence from the framework itself. Under this philosophy, ideas determine direction and tools are the wheels to reach your destination. Every few years, new tools are needed to explore unknown terrain. You have to upgrade your wheels. 
These were the guiding principles of PyTorch, but they still needed to build it. We built PyTorch as a band of people from the Torch community. One of the people, the lead author of the PyTorch original paper, was Adam Paszka, who was a first-year undergrad at that time in Poland. And he pinged me one day. He's like, I don't have an internship yet. I've been searching. Do you have any internships available? And I said, hey, we've been doing this like PyTorch thing on our nights and weekends. Why don't you come on as an intern and we'll do this full-time for a few months? And so Adam, me, and then another engineer from Meta, Sam Gross, we were working full-time on PyTorch. And then there's like 18 other people who were basically putting their kids to bed at night and then immediately coming onto their computer and starting hacking on PyTorch. And PyTorch was born. Fast forward to today, and PyTorch has joined the Linux Foundation as one of its major projects. While pushback was limited, there were some internal questions about how the move would benefit Meta. It was very easy to answer because Meta is not a cloud provider, is not a hardware vendor. Meta basically enabled PyTorch and it was building out an ecosystem for PyTorch and Meta could definitely use the ecosystem effects back. As you hire a new employee, you don't need to train them on your internal stack because it's the most popular external stack and so you don't have to retrain your new hires because PyTorch is very, is very popular. Hardware vendors integrate into it on day one. And so Meta, if they're choosing to buy new hardware, they have a lot more options because they don't have a lead time on, oh, if you buy this hardware and then we have to integrate it with our internal software stack. So Meta leverages a lot of the ecosystem effects and the benefits it directly gets out of those things. Highlighting the benefits that Meta would enjoy helped smooth the transition. It was a very easy conversation to then tell people, we are leveraging ecosystem effects. It brings a lot of value to Meta. And it's in our interest for the PyTorch ecosystem to go bigger and bigger. This is a common theme that we see throughout these untold stories. Companies realize, or, or fail to realize, that contributing to open source will help them grow exponentially. Meta has always been a company that leverages information and is now in the prime position to reap the rewards of the merger. As PyTorch joins the Linux Foundation, Summit highlights the benefits of staying vendor neutral. One of the bigger values it gives is for larger companies participating in the PyTorch ecosystem. There are various trade-offs that companies make when investing in a particular technology. It can go all the way from is this technology developed by a competitor all the way to like geopolitical considerations. So it makes it clear that the new structure only applies to PyTorch business governance. It covers things like trademarks, assets, and events. The technical governance will remain the same. Various people who have been maintaining various parts and modules of PyTorch continue to be maintainers. Maintainership at a technical level, commit rights, 
are given to individuals, not companies. So a company cannot just come into the foundation, say, I want to pay way more, I want like 10 board seats, and I want commit rights to these modules. That's just not possible within our new structure. We've kept that protected. This safeguard keeps companies from entering the foundation and trying to take over the project. It keeps PyTorch in the hands of the community while benefiting from the ecosystem and its premier members. Microsoft and Amazon and Google have been involved in contributing to PyTorch for the last three years? Well, individuals have, but the companies... No, companies themselves. Microsoft announced, I think, a year and a half ago or so, on stage, Satya Nadella giving the keynote, saying, hey, we are investing big in PyTorch, and we love it. As for TensorFlow, they remain a competitor to PyTorch to this day, with Google supporting both projects. Summit reflects on the significance of open source throughout his career. My entire career has been defined by me participating in open source for my own joy and merit, and me basically having all of my professional life, all of the jobs I've had, all of the promotions I've had, all defined by my impact in open source. Even like my recruiting right now, if I if I need to find someone for my team, I would 100% be trying to look for what their open source contributions have been. I pick people where I get the most confidence out of their past work. And if you have a lot of substantial open source contributions, they're accessible for other people to look at on the kind of work you've done. From ignoring standardized test scores to moving to America, Summit's life is filled with pivotal moments when he chose to block out the noise and focus on what mattered to him the most. This mindset has steered Summit and PyTorch directly into this milestone merger. As for the future, he's going to let emerging ideas pave the way for the project. Me and the way I try to build PyTorch and define the roadmaps. It's very pragmatic. As I said, I believe science is an organism where ideas are powering the direction and the tools are powering the wheels. We're very pragmatic as to how to shape the product based on where the industry moves. Right now, the AI industry is very fast-moving, and the sweet spot for exactly what is an ideal tool is changing. I believe the cycle for new tooling generally spans about five or six years, before which the industry changes enough that you would want something new. The industry has grown in the past decade, and Summit doesn't see the ride coming to an end anytime soon. I'm excited about the fast pace of the industry and it continues doing that. AI hasn't slowed down since 2012 and people every three years are like, this is it, it will slow down and it hasn't. So I'm pretty excited. I feel like it will last at least the next three to five years. It wouldn't slow down 
and we're going to continue to build for AI as it progresses. Our program today was produced by the team at the Linux Foundation, including James McLeod from the Phenos Project, Chip Stewart for promotional management of the series, Melissa Schmidt for graphic design, and Noah Lehman for social media support. The narration for this episode was written by Mark Levesque, with music and soundscapes from Blue Dot Sessions. Our website, where you can listen and download every episode, completely ungated and free, can be found on our GitHub project or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast. Speaking of subscribing, we'd very much appreciate you pressing that subscribe button and becoming part of our growing community. I'm Mark Miller, back next week with another untold story of open source.